Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by BadgerGP.com. Formula One isn't boring. Today's episode is called You Know the Score. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Oh, it's going great there, Spanners. How are you doing? Look, firstly, I should thank Chris Stevens, who ably managed to step in. I'm glad you sort of, you played like the Felipe Massa role whilst Chris Stevens, the young buck, came here and hosted last week. You were the veteran there, coaching him through it. Yeah, it was no worries. He's, he's, actually, he's actually quite a good producer when you leave him alone. One listener and wrote like, in and said, uh, he seems like an idiot on the panel, but actually quite good as a host. Now there's some praise. We are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong. But we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. This week, we are brought to you in proud association with our friends at BadgerGP.com. For those of you that don't know, Badger are the guys behind the fantasy GP game that so many of us play. We have our own league called Wrong But First. Find Missed Apex Podcast on Facebook to catch up with that. Uh, We'll get an update on the fantasy league later on. They also do some great post-race coverage on their website with features such as Top Dog, where they award Driver of the Day and their race top five called the Badgerometer. I like that. Uh, And why not check out their online store, 
box, box, box. Just click shop from their homepage. We are joined in the first time for a long time by the veteran of Missed Apex podcast, Vortex Mortio. How's it going, Ken? Hey, it's going well. Uh, greetings from the fabulous northwest part of the United States. Now, I don't want to call you old, but I did wonder if that was a squeaky chair in the background or a hip. Uh, that's a squeaky chair, but my hips are not what they used to be. No more tangos like I used to be, you know. I bet that's quite a sight. Joining us alongside to counterbalance the oldness is Anil Palmer. How's it going, Anil? Very well, and I can confirm that my hips are working properly. But unfortunately, your beard sticks out and scrapes the pop shield of your microphone, so it all balances out. We're also joined by the live stream. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us, even though we are starting at nearly 10 o'clock. We really appreciate that. If you want to join the live stream in future times, go to YouTube and find Missed Apex Podcast. You can do that on your app. Click subscribe. You'll get a notification when we go live if you click the little bell. And you can join the chat room right there from the app. Okay, let's get going with... Dirty News. Well, normally, Matt, I say the big dirty news is the race, but quite a lot happened before the race, even before qualifying. Yeah, indeed. We had lots and lots to talk about. Uh, Specifically, uh, and I think pretty much what started off grabbing everyone's attention, was that uh, Renault was testing, I believe it was Sergei Sorotkin, in one of their old historic cars. And guess who turned up for a special day? Robert Kubica showed up and ran well more than a Grand Prix worth of distance in a fairly modern Formula One car, which uh, most people were not sure he would ever be able to do again. And more to the point, I hear, or at least I see on the Twitters, reported by other people, that he might have even been faster than Sorotkin. Anil, I know you were happy to see this, but I saw a picture of him recently with him just in a T-shirt. I did not realize his arm was that mangled. It's a miracle he can drive an F1 car. Yeah, it really is. I seem to recall the problem with him driving seemed to be the flexibility in his right arm. So the fact that he's actually able to get into a cockpit and be reasonably competitive is really surprising. And apparently he's now looking for a drive. Is that realistic, Ken? Do you think we could see a return of the pole? Uh, it's hard to say. I, you know, what's impressive is he, I saw that he said he'd worked for a year to get his arm to work well enough. And I don't know if any of our listeners saw the pictures of the crash, but it was the most incredible crash. And for him to still have his hand attached to his arm is amazing. And, and I don't know, you know, he was rated as one of the top drivers in his day. So hoping that uh, he's still got what it takes. I would love it if he can make it back into a car, I'll be honest with you. I have heard from very good sources that he has turned down a Formula E drive. Now, if he's turning that down, there's got to be a reason for it. He's clearly aiming a bit higher. Um, I heard they actually tested an LMP1 or LMP2 car last year, and that quicker than the actual drivers. So I think he's got his eyes set on a Formula 1 test and possibly drive. Now, that quote, Anil, that he he gave out was a little cryptic. He said, you know, I did well and I'm proud of what I did, but it also shows what I've lost. What was he talking about? Was he talking about the lost F1 years or the lost form? I thought he was talking about lost F1 years, but it 
the way it read made it sound like he was sad that he'd lost pace. But no, reading it back and giving his, given his Sky interview over the weekend, I think he's referring to that six-year period where he would have really had his peak years. Matt, moving on a bit with news, it looks like uh, there may be a fork in the road between Honda and McLaren. And Steve uh, Blackout19 in the chat room points out rightly that he doesn't have any faith in the Honda to actually make it to the fork in the road. Indeed. Uh, and it might just not be in the road. It might be like, you know, in the gut or through somebody's hand or in an eyeball or something, the way things are currently going. Uh, yeah, it, it, suddenly and out of nowhere, and this is a fun story, suddenly and out of nowhere, Zach Brown shows up and says, oh, by the way, uh, we might have done a deal for alternate engines if Honda don't get their act together, specifically by September. And this was all kicked off as he and Mansoor Oje, who was really, I believe, the power behind the throne now at McLaren, were seen talking with, amongst others, Toto Wolf in the background of a Lewis Hamilton social media moment from the paddock in Montreal. And that led to some speculation. And I think they were just getting out ahead of it. Now, interestingly, do you know else, who else has a September deadline? Why, yes, that would be Alonzo, who has said he will make his future plans known to McLaren and the rest of the world who are probably interested in September. Now, I don't know. Maybe there's a connection there. What do you think? I think so. I think they're desperate to hold on to Alonzo because losing Alonzo is an absolute admission that they've, they've failed. They failed to give him the car that they promised they were going to give him. And if Alonzo goes, that is their D minus. There was a lot of talk ahead of this weekend about this Honda upgrade that was going to fix some of their problems, but it, it didn't materialize. And I saw in a couple of interviews, particularly with, I think it was Zach Brown, who said, Look, it hasn't turned up, we were expecting it, and it didn't, it didn't turn up. When it does turn up, whether that's Austria or Baku, it needs to deliver some meaningful performance. Let me just say that I think one of the most important things about that announcement is that... Um, Honda contributes a ton of money to McLaren. And so for the board to approve that, that means they've looked hard at that. Zach Brown, um, and, and I think as if you're a McLaren fan, you got to be happy. I would think that Zach Brown is there. He's an expert at grabbing the sponsors. He knows what to do. I would imagine that there are sponsors lined up that they are prepared to go without that Honda money um, if Honda comes up with a dud motor. Yeah, I think at this point, uh, Honda's money is not going to be worth the sponsors they could attract were they to be more competitive. And I will just throw it out there, since I like to speculate randomly and with no information whatsoever, that I think you could see McLaren running an a single Indy car and adding to it at special events where Alonso was available for the following season. And that might wind up making everybody kind of happy. Just saying. All right, man, let's move on to qualifying because it was a bit special. Uh, come on. You know what I want to talk about? Get all the other stuff out of the way so we can talk about Lewis. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, I know you want to talk about Lewis. Uh, Fortis, though, would like to claim credit from the chat room for the social media bit. So there you go. All done. I thought it might have been the fork to the eyeball, but no, it was a social media film that they were all, all the big wigs were seen in the background of. Yeah, so we started out qualifying with a bang, literally a bang, as Pascal Verlein stuck it into the wall in the first session and literally kept all of the bottom five from having a chance to make it to Q2. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, I watch the practice sessions, which I don't normally get to do because of the excellent timing of this Grand Prix it means we get to watch it in the evening in the UK. And boy, were cars, you know, struggling. I think as Ken put it, what was it? New track plus something, something equals no grip. But wow, it made for an interesting practice session. And it just showed how quickly the cars were snapping away from them. Yeah, that's it's a great track because you can really see how a driver works the car. You can see the cars the the whether or not the car is understeering oversteering i it, this is one of my favorite tracks i i and it's a it's a track that i want to go to and and i'm always jealous of friends colleagues people i see that go to it what a great crowd as well but it's a great place to watch a formula car work you know, I tried to convince Joe Sayward that our Inside F1 with Joe Saywards here on the Mist Apex podcast feed would be much better with the atmospheric sounds of the paddock. He's yet to agree to pay for me to lug all my equipment, all expenses paid to the paddock, but Canada certainly would have been a good one. But back to you, Matt. Yeah, so uh, Q1 gone, having gone out uh, with, with no real fireworks as all the last laps were cancelled thanks to Verling's double wave yellows. Q2 saw Toro Rosso just massively, you would think, underperform. Uh, Now, we know from Carlos Sainz, he said that he got yellows on all of his fast laps. And for Kvyat, he was stuck in first gear after he hit the Weybridge and couldn't get his car out of it. So when he finally had his only chance, he was on cold tires and with no preparation whatsoever. So they they were full of excuses and not much results when push came to shove. Does anyone feel like Sainz is kind of um, doing his business in his own front yard here because he was very vocal in the post-race interviews, not just criticising not only his team, but also his teammate. And then Kvyat came back on Twitter and did the thing, like a real passive-aggressive British thing, he must have spent time here, of quoting Carlos Sainz in a picture meme, but then re- responding with the, with the words posted without comment which is a comment by the way i i somehow missed all that but that sounds absolutely hilarious um apparently carlos Sainz and max verstappen had a bit of a rocky relationship but i i wonder if the same thing is happening with kvyat that science doesn't seem to be having a great year and he seems to be making his feelings well known well science is just frustrated overall isn't he he probably yeah, I mean, he's, he's looking at his old teammate max verstappen in a red ball and he's thinking look i've got another year in this car and it's he wants to be further up the field. I don't know how frustrated Science is, candidly. I mean, maybe qualifying didn't go the way that he wanted, and he was venting there and, and felt that um, he was owed a toe from his um, partner, and he didn't get that toe. And so um, he was being a little bit uh, juvenile about that. But on the other hand, I mean, he's this season so far before this weekend has really been quite good i i i i it's hard to say because there's stuff going on you know in the paddock in the team hard to say what's going on there it is and matt signs is clearly a talent but he, he can't help but be feeling bitter when he sees that he should be the one there impressing against a daniel ricardo who hasn't really been sparking on all five cylinders this weekend don't know why i picked five uh i don't know classic audi maybe i don't know classic audi engine Maybe coming to Formula One. Maybe not. We don't know. We don't know anything. Uh, yeah, maybe he's frustrated. Of course, he's frustrated because he he has he's one of the few that have sort of put themselves a little bit head and shoulders above. And he, you'd think he would be in for a shout at a at a quicker, 
faster team, but but there is no room at the end. And let's face it, if Kubica is coming back, there is going to be even less than no room at the end for new talent or even for talent that is wasting away in a rather decent midfield team. So, yeah, I think he sometimes he, he sees the he sees the tunnel narrowing. He sees the gap going away. And he's not yet stuck his nose in. Look, there's a Palmer-shaped hole for Kubica. Let's not worry about that too much. But the story of qualifying was this was a proper, proper battle between two drivers in two different teams. And Lewis Hamilton pulled out a lap that just seemed amazing. It seemed like a miracle lap. It took everybody by surprise, sort of, because we know he's amazing around Canada. Then Vettel comes in and pretty much matches it. And we're just blown away we're like wow what the heck is going on here and then lewis hamilton just in an inspired and let me annoy ryan ferret ferris here in a center like qualifying performance pulls out another three tenths to pull just an amazing pole position and equal senna's pole record so i mean that was an an amazing performance by hamilton and it really did make bottas look ordinary because he's not slow over one lap either no and and to be clear just because I'd gotten interested in this and not because I know anything about actual numbers, I'd gotten curious enough about the distance between uh, FP3 performance and quality performance that I'd gone through for all four drivers, uh, Vettel, Raikkonen, Hamilton, and Botas, and done a percentage change average from FP3 to their qualifying time. And I have to say that based on that, Hamilton actually did better than I would have predicted. And Vettel didn't quite get all the way there. And if you look at your look at their laps, it's kind of obvious. Vettel was a little too hot into turn one. It took him a while to make it up. But you got to hand it to him. He did drive a faster sector three than Hamilton did, despite losing all his momentum at the very beginning of his lap. As far as Hamilton goes... Yeah, he was significantly faster than I would have expected based on the average percentage improvement in his previous qualifying. Yeah, it, it was a mega lap. And it's I think it's only fair that he kind of equaled Senna's record at a track that he's been so amazing at all over the years. I, I seem to recall his first pole position was at Montreal as well. Um, what really stood out to me is just how much how far ahead both of those drivers were relative to their teammates. They're pushing each other along and they're really making each other push to the absolute limit hopefully we see more of that over the year drivers are making a real difference this year and it's just a general point we've had all throughout the year is that i don't know in, in the past few years we've kind of seen you know drivers a bit line of stern and two tenths three tenths was all we'd ever really see and in the race they'd kind of be noah's ark a little bit but i think this season the great drivers are coming being shown up they're rising to the top and more importantly i'm pleased that some drivers are being found out yeah, I just want to say as well, um, I love the fact that we're seeing multiple laps in qualifying again. Yes, I no, that's brilliant. Over the last few years, it's been, we'll yeah. do one lap, but if you get a tiny lockup ruins that set of tyres. Now it's just go out, Lewis, and push, push, push. And the times keep getting quicker and quicker. And proper racing tyres, I'm loving it. Yeah, and let's not forget, when we're talking about mistakes, there was a mistake on Vettel's final lap. But let's also forget that he had to trash his first time entirely and that his team turned him around to set his banker lap and then turned him around again to set a second lap. And I think it was six minutes. Pretty fantastic stuff and amazing that he actually improved on his banker lap, given the little preparation he would have had before they chucked him back out into the pit lane. 
Yeah, I, I got to say that that was it was a beautiful moment in F1. And I think that's why we all watch is that Q3 to see the superstars rise to the top. And, and it was really beautiful to see what what Hamilton did to steps. He gained over a full second off of what he had done in Q2 um, and um, Vettel because he had screwed up just almost a full second, I think it was, or just a little bit less than the time that that Hamilton had grabbed over uh, the Q2 time in comparison. But when you look at the rest of the field uh, that was in Q3, they were grabbing three-tenths of a second over their, their Q2 times. And, and I think right there you're seeing two drivers at the very top and and it really did set the whole tone for the rest of the weekend for what we saw today sunday in the race so yeah he equaled senna's pole position record only one driver left to go and a lovely touching moment from the senna family to present him with a race helmet lewis hamilton got very very emotional about it he was hugging it as he was driving out of the window it was wonderful and spectacular and that moment in that moment we felt we were witnessing something special in f1 history and i'm very glad that happened but then it was kind of a bummer to find out that it actually wasn't a race helmet it was a replica of not a race helmet so there was a bit of confusion around this because will buxton obviously given the wrong information we trust will specifically said this is not a replica this is a race-worn helmet. Now, there was a bit of clarity in motorsport.com after that, saying that, no, 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 this was a replica because it's insurance purposes to make it travel out of Monica. And in fact, it was a special helmet. It's not a race-worn helmet, but it's the one that Senna used for all the promo work and pre-season stuff. So yeah, it's still special, but it would have been more special if they'd have just said up front, look, here's you know a replica, the real one is waiting for you, and it's still a very special helmet. But the gloss was taken off a bit, Matt, by them specifically saying it's a race-worn helmet. Well, yeah. And technically, interestingly, it was the real replica, as you point out. He actually used it in all of his uh, promo shoots and everything else like that. And it was painted exactly by the same and the only people who painted all of his helmets. So that in and of itself would be nothing to complain about. But they, Cine family, want Lewis to have an actual race helmet. And apparently upon his return to Monaco, that's going to get sorted out with the insurance company and everything else. And it was still such an amazing thing that even at the driver's press conference afterwards, Vettel and Lewis were literally ignoring the reporters and just like poking at the thing repeatedly. (laughs) Well, I I think you might've just missed a step there, Matt, because the one he's going to get is not a race worn helmet. So let's just clarify that straight away. But what was interesting in Neil was you could genuinely see that what Lewis has been talking about with Senna all this time about him being his idol, that's not, that's not rubbish. He's not making that up. That was genuine. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like a massive Lewis Hamilton fanboy. Boo! Or a member of the Hamfosi, as you might say. But um, that really struck a chord with me. It was a really great moment. And the fact that it was done in front of the crowd with Will, really ace. Um, just a final thing I'll mention on that as well. It reminds me of when Schumacher m- matched um, Senna's win tally um, back in 2000 and in the press conference he was asked about it and he just burst into tears and there was a two or three really awkward minutes where he was just bawling his eyes out so it goes to show you just how much of an influence Senna was all right let's go on to the race A 
As so often is the case in the Canadian Grand Prix, we had an absolutely fantastic and entertaining hour and a half or so of racing. The safety car came in early. You cannot tell me that that race was only good because of the early safety car. I think that race was going to be fantastic anyway. The cars, the track, everything made this a special day, Matt. But as I always ask you, where was the race won and lost? Uh, the race was won and lost at the gaping maw of turn one, waiting for the racers to enter it from the lights out. And that's exactly what happened. You had Vettel with a brilliant start coming right up on Lewis, Lewis covering him off. And suddenly, before he knew it, Botas, who also had a brilliant start, had gone one side of him. And then, bang, Verstappen saw a slice of daylight on the other side. There went Vettel's wing. There went Verstappen. And boom, it was over. Ten seconds later, you had Carlos Sainz going gearbox backwards into Felipe Massa, and the safety car came out, and the cards were already being played as battle plans up and down the paddock were being torn up. That was pretty good. I'm totally distracted by the chat room. Christopher Fonseca saying, look forward to the future where some talented F1 driver is presented with a genuine Lewis Hamilton selfie stick. Oh, they're they're at it early and often for a comment of the week. That one goes into the batch for sure. So to shake out from turn one, it was amazing to suddenly see Verstappen from absolutely nowhere in second place. Uh, we'll do a bit of whose fault is this, but he took a bit of Sebastian Vettel's front wing in the process of chopping him off and leaving him with absolutely nowhere to go. Not going to make any judgment on the whose fault is this yet. But he was there in second place, a bit of a roadblock, a bit of a perfect scenario for Lewis Hamilton. Not only is he not threatened by his teammate, but also Vettel has gone back. Did he go back behind Raikkonen as well? No, Raikkonen was a bit further back, but he was in serious trouble because he was missing like all of the cascade elements on his uh, the right side of his front wing. And he was understeering pretty severely as a result. They were not going to be able to leave him out. And the wing itself was structurally unstable. So they were they were they were going to be forced to bring him in or else he was going to be black flagged. And if the wing came all the way off, as we've seen in the past, we've seen a wing go up under the front wheels and literally make the car undrivable. And in fact, I believe it was a Ferrari that had that very problem. Uh, Malaysia, perhaps. I, I don't recall. Well, it's ringing a bell. It was Alonso, wasn't it? And he probably could have come in. And they let him go out another lap and it ended up going up underneath him and he had to pit. Uh, yeah, It robbed us of that battle, though, didn't it? We were really looking forward to the Lewis uh, Sebastian, you know, cut off, obviously, as a Hamfosi. I wasn't too devastated to see Vettel hurtling back down the field after that pit stop because, frankly, I felt that Lewis was due, due a break because the universe and everything conspires against him all the time. Well, that was certainly a big break because I think, it, as we saw... The pace that Vettel had, if Vettel, if Vettel had a better start, that, well, could have been a Vettel victory, as some people had predicted. So turn one, as Matt said, dictated what the results were going to be. You're absolutely right, Ken. Ferrari definitely had pace this weekend, and it was a shame. I know Anil's a big Ferrari fan, but Ferrari have only got one chance to win, whereas Mercedes have got two. Oh, I'm so disappointed about that start. Um it's really strange because for the championship, that's a really good result. But when I've spent two weeks getting myself hyped up for the Canadian Grand Prix, I want like a proper battle between uh, Lewis and Seb. What I want is a repeat of what happened to Nico and Lewis back in Bahrain a couple of years ago. I want that between them two drivers. So I was a bit disappointed we didn't see it. But yeah, it was a pretty easy victory for Lewis in the end. He was just cruising up front. But one thing I will say, 
the the run to turn one in Canada is really short, but it, it's always amazing. But every year there's this drama. Um, I, I don't know why. I know. I don't know if it's the layout, but it, it's amazing. Well, I've got some theories. A, they've done a great runoff, which leads into the next straight. So the penalty for going off, you may as well just have a go, mightn't you? I mean, there used to be grass there. Now it's concrete. You can just have a go, slot in behind and say, oh, okay, well, I didn't, I didn't, didn't gain anything, but you didn't lose anything from your lunge. Secondly, quite a low grip track as well. So I think that leaves you open to a, to a lot of shenanigans into that first corner. But you're right. And the thing is, that turn one isn't just good off the, off the start. It's good throughout the whole race. And it's a it's a short run to turn one as well, so that the uh, cars are still bunched up. There's always blood on the track after turn one. There are carbon bits in cars out. So, Matt, then, so Lewis Hamilton goes out into the front. I know, obviously, Verstappen ended up conking out, but was Bottas ever under threat? Basically, was Red Bull ever a threat to Valtteri's second place? Because it, it looked for one at one point like they were considering Red Bull in their tactics. Uh, they probably would have been had Verstappen stayed ahead of Botas, but uh, thankfully Renault helped them out with that by having the entire energy store go uh, go sideways on them on the third or fourth lap. Anyhow, I think I said a few podcasts ago that in the dry, I think Ricardo is faster than Verstappen. But I actually feel quite sorry for Max because over the last few races, he's been the better Red Bull driver, but he just doesn't seem to be getting the results. I think Ricardo's now got three podiums in a row, but. He's comfortably been the worst worst of the two drivers of these last few races. It's a real shame for Max because I think he was due a good result. But when he went out of the race, if we had an award for silent pony, for silent daddy I want a pony, his hand gestures uh, on the steering wheel and on his helmet really did indicate how upset he was. I think that's two races in a row where he's feel, felt wronged. So it will be interesting to see if his sort of mental state can hold on in there because he does seem generally level-headed despite being passionate. So I think he can come back, but we've seen him bubbling over, Ken. No, no, that's that's the Max Verstappen that uh, I watched during his year in Formula 3. I've seen that over and over again because he suffered from an unreliable car in Formula 3 and he, he lost that championship to some French guy named Ocon. Anyway, um, he would he he reacted the same way. He seemed so level headed in the interviews and yet he's surprisingly emotional at times behind the wheel. It's a it's a character thing because, you know, I have a thing that I call flash to bang. You know, how quickly from the flash of emotion do people explode and let it out? Some people can be very, very calm, but their flash to bang is very short. So you think, oh, they're a nice guy. Whoa, where did that come from? Other people, you know, let it out all the time in little dribs and drabs. People like Felipe Massa, people like Lewis Hamilton. And I think that's called wearing your heart on your sleeve. But then you get people like Max Verstappen, who perhaps, you know, tick along very, very quietly. Then, hey, what the heck's going on here? I have been wrong. The world has wronged me in some way. So you're saying he wears his sleeve on his heart. I think. Ah, ha, 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 ha. He laughed awkwardly, pretending to understand the joke. So you mentioned Ocon there and Force India are definitely the story of the weekend, the race of the weekend. But just before we get to that, let's talk about the team structure. Yeah, no, I think it was interesting that Ferrari got Raikkonen officially out of the way by telling him, oh, we're going to do a thing. Come in. We'll put some quality tires on. We think it's a good idea. And I don't know how Anil felt about that. But for me, I was like, oh, 
that are going to put quality tires on, and then he's going to be 15 seconds back of Vettel, and then that's just going to be the end of it. Is that what you were thinking at that point, Daniel? To be fair, I thought they'd pit Seb as well, because there just seems to be a, a bit of a train um, formed behind, I can't remember the order, was it Ricardo, Perez, Ocon? Ocon. Um, yeah. And, and overtaking at, one, at that track, it, it's always actually really difficult. I know we've, when we think of the track, we think of loads and loads of overtakes, but actually... There have been a number of races over the years where we've just seen long trains of cars. It's still exciting. It's just not a guaranteed pass. So when they first pit Raikkonen, I didn't immediately think, oh, that's just to get him out of the way for Seb. I actually thought they were going to pit Seb anyway and try to go really aggressive at the end whilst Ricardo, Ocon and Perez were on shock tyres, which is what happened. Yeah, but for a minute, it looked at least like, oh, there we go. Yet again, Raikkonen's getting the short end of the uh, strategy stick. But they did. They pitted Vettel as well, and they promised, and they pat him on the head, and they say, yeah, eight laps from the end, you'll be having fun. And then, miraculously, fun was had by all. Okay, but well, that's... Go on, Ken. Well, I was just going to jump in and just say, let, let's let's always remember, though, that Ferrari needs to maximize the points and they were really behind the eight ball at that point and so they needed Kimmy to maximize what he was going to be able to do even if they may see that he may not have the ultimate race pace that Sebastian has shown obviously they still needed to maximize what he can do so I I didn't see that necessarily as um that I didn't have a tinfoil hat on when I saw that maneuver or so Okay, let's be grown up here. I'm going to say a thing. Some people are going to get mad. Some people are going to be nodding in agreement. I want to say, let's be grown up here. Kimi Raikkonen got a team order. That is allowed. A team order is fine. You're allowed to do team orders. But they're not admitting they're doing team orders. As Vettel came out and was catching up with Kimi Raikkonen, he got the radio message saying, Kimi, you know the score. Take the money. Lie back and think of Finland. Is there anyone here who disputes that that was a team order? Absolutely he, no like, one. Didn't he miss his breaking point? And, oh, and like for, in Monza, the, like Rosberg in Monza. Oh, yeah. So I just got to say for the people who are listening to the podcast and are not watching the video that um, it's really cool what Spanners has done with the tinfoil hat that he's wearing at the moment. It's it's really stylish. Are you going to sit here and tell me that that was not a team order? Well, usually. Okay, so so let's go there then. What what happened? So ultimately, they want to win not only the constructors' championship but the let's say the drivers' championship. So what happened to Kimmy? He dropped quite a ways back, um, and he was um and they were talking to him about having to fix his car or whatever turn some knobs and dials in the cockpit i think he had a real problem so when they were giving him advice on how to fix the uh it looked like it was a similar problem to what lewis apparently had a few years ago when he was facing rosberg i don't know if you noticed but they said they said turn the dial to 40 and he said 14 or 40 and it just made me laugh that there's that many dials on a steering wheel. <laughs> like, why Why are there 40 dials? Okay, so the real tinfoil hat conspiracy is they said, okay, so what setting should I go on to? And they're like, oh, then you should just go to setting 40. 40 is the best one. Are you sure? Because I think remembering that 40 makes ERS stop. 
No, 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 no. 40 is go faster. Go faster is number 40. You turn to 40, that's fine. So I'm not saying there's a button they pressed to make Kimi Raikkonen uh, have brake failure into the final turn. I'm saying that that is probably genuine and that's absolutely fine. But at the time before that, when they said, you know the score, he was specifically being told, don't put up a fight, don't hold up Vettel. And for the record, I think that's fine. And I think Mercedes do the same thing with Hamilton and Bottas. They have the same attitude. Okay, so do you think Kimi going off of the escape road for the last corner was a team order? No. Or are you saying, no. are you saying that that was part of the earth spender? Because if you're saying yeah. that you know, don't hold Vettel up. So we ended up in a scenario where two laps from the end, Vettel was directly behind Kimi. Kimi's making no progress. Um, Kimi just lets him pass. I think that's fine. But I do think the actual issue was genuine. Because I think he lost like 14 seconds to... Yeah, it was six seconds a lap, set. wasn't it? No, I'm sure I'm sure that issue was genuine. I mean, in, in the end, that, that incident made what I was saying about it being a team order sound like a crazy conspiracy theory. No, I was referring to what was happening before. Yeah, and that that was that initially sent my spidey sense tingling. It's very convenient to use Raikkonen for an experiment that, if it doesn't work, as experiments often don't, leaves Vettel well ahead of him and uh, able to still try and get past the Force Indias and uh, maybe attack Ricciardo. But the reality was that Ferrari had actually intuited that they could make up the time on light tanks, and they were able to. And I think I think Raikkonen just overcooked his brakes. I think he probably uses a different brake balance than Vettel to make the car behave more the way he wants, and that that put more uh, put more heat into the rear brakes, and that the rear brakes were the ultimate cause of the problem they had, and they were trying to work around it by using the ERs help with the help with the rear brakes because let's remember on formula one cars the rear brakes are fairly tiny compared to the fronts so well just real quick i i uh, let me apologize to spanners because um i i had misconstrued what you were talking about and and if and i hadn't caught that on the broadcast that i was listening to the the radio message to kimi and i i think that's highly appropriate i think particularly given Ferrari, that's a team that has such a team pride and like there's a whole country and all that that's riding on their shoulders. So if an order was given to, hey, if there's if your teammates faster, you know what to do, I'm not surprised. And I I candidly, I, I would agree. I think that's appropriate. Wait a minute. You know, the chat room has a drink every time you say candidly, don't you? Well, candidly, I did not know this. Matt, candidly, what would you say is your opinion on this matter? Candidly. It's a trap. Uh, candidly speaking, I would say my opinion is that the evidence is inconclusive at best. However, Boo, how Chris Stevens of you. However, there is an incident where the evidence is crystal clear, and I cannot believe we've not yet gotten around to it. And that would, of course, be Sergio Perez and the Force Indias. Okay, before we get there, we have some announcements, Matt, if you wouldn't mind doing the honors. And while Matt scrolls down to that, let's catch up with Vortex Motio. Ken, you are at Vortex Motio, M-O-T-I-O, on Twitter. It's been a long time since you've graced the podcasting shed. Something we said? Uh, No, I apologize. I've been, um, well, I took a holiday, a little bit of a holiday, the same time you did. uh, When camping with my wife for the first time in years in the uh, northern Rocky Mountains, Slept in a tent and uh, 
you know, we could have been eaten up by bears, eaten alive, and uh, none of those nightmares happened. And overall, I survived, and it was quite pleasant. So is that like Minnesota ter- territory? Is it like, oh, right, don't you know? <laughs> no, no, I'm farther west, uh, <laughs> and I'm closer to, uh, how would you say, uh, Portland, Oregon, Seattle. I'm actually outside of Boise, which is inland, um, and the Rockies run near us, so there you go. Yeah, yeah, Canada, got it, whatever. One of the reasons I love having Ken on here is he isn't as blinded uh, by Formula One as I am. He's not as blinkered. You spend a lot of time watching the junior series and other, ra- you know, minor racing categories, including karting. I do, actually. I, 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 it's, well, for one thing, Formula Three does something that I think we can all agree is exciting, is that they put their races on YouTube. And it's so delightful that if you miss a live broadcast, you can just go back and watch it. Plus, uh, it's it's pure racing. And that's it what is. I love. I Grew up going to racetracks and watching club racing and then got involved with the local kart tracks and whatnot. And it's great to see the talent rise up through the ranks. Great to hear from you, Ken. Everybody follow at Votex Motio on Twitter. The following is a message from our friends at BadgerGP.com. Since launching in 2008, our tagline has been, Formula One isn't boring. That sums up Badger's raison d'etre, to have fun with F1. The sport is often taken too seriously for its own good, with our famous Fantasy Grand Prix game, legendary Grand Prix screening events, awesome merchandise, F1 travel packages, and in-depth articles written by passionate and knowledgeable fans. Badger aims to put that balance right. While you'll find the usual news headlines on our Twitter feed and sites like BBC F1 and Autosport, the Badger ethos is to provide a more interesting selection of reading material. We give you discussion on the latest news, great races, and events from the sport's history, fun topical cartoons, genuinely interesting interviews, and personal pieces from fans. If it's copied and pasted press releases or made-up rumors you're after, you're in the wrong place. Absolutely love the attitude of the boys at badgergp.com. Now, for a long time at Missed Apex, we tried, you know, running articles and doing a lot of blogging. It's fallen by the wayside. We gave it a good go. But through all that time, the guys at BadgerGP were not treating me like a competitor at all. They were giving me actual advice on how to get on, what to do with the lads, reading our articles, critiquing them for me in private. Uh, just a real top bunch of guys. And they don't treat it with that cutthroat attitude at all. Uh, Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. They're a genuinely good bunch of blokes. And like I said, if you want to take your F1 seriously, if you want to read the same press releases you could get from the teams by just going on their mailing list, no, that's not the right place to go. If you want to get a good, fresh take, then yeah, go and see our mates at badgergp.com. They're the guys that do the fantasy GP game, and this week I remembered to do my predictions. Uh, Obviously, we're a bit too close to the end of the race to actually see our scores this week, but I'm thinking I did well, because, you know, I just put Lewis Hamilton in every position and also fastest lap. Um, I do everything except first to go out, really. Uh, But look, follow the guys on Twitter, at badgergp, at fantasypitwall, that's for the fantasy GP game. Join our fantasy league by going to mistapexpodcast.com, uh, sorry, mistapexpodcast on Facebook and go to the pinned tweet that will send you to our league wrong but first. Compete with me in the Formula One League. See if you can beat me as well. Uh, and why not check out their merchandise? There's some cool mugs on there actually uh, at boxboxboxco. So that's box three times, then C O. All right, let's get on to the Force India battle, Matt. What did you make of this? Has has Sergio Perez just ruined his chances of going to a top team in Formula One? Yes, if that top team has a prancing horse anywhere nearby it, you might think indeed he has. Well, there's two scenarios here, and Anil will speak better of this than we will. Scenario A, Sebastian Vettel doesn't win the title this year, gets peed off, goes to Mercedes, in which case Ferrari are looking for a number one driver. In which case, yes, attitude, good. Scenario two, Kimi Raikkonen gets just, you know, you've had enough glue factory, Kimi, off you go. Then they bring in Sergio Perez as a number two driver. Nah, not after this performance today, Anil. I am so frustrated of Sergio Perez. I mean, I think it was very clear early on that it was going to be a very good result for them, especially with Williams losing Massa. You know, it was going to be great. The end result was good as well. But Perez should have let Ocon through so much earlier. And what annoys me so much about it is there was this really weird like negotiating going on during the race. So it was uh, it started off as let him through, and Perez is like, "Now, nah, mate, now nah, I'm not doing it." So it was like, "Okay, we'll give you three laps, let him through, and if you can't get past, you'll switch places." And Perez is like, "Look, hold on here, I've got this, I've got it." And if he was able to really mount a charge on Ricardo, maybe it would have been worth it. But by the end, his tires had gone, so. I was just really frustrated and Ocon drove beautifully all day. Um, I actually think there's some internal pressure falling on Perez because he knows that Ocon's very highly rated, even though he's, he's a rookie. Yeah, he wants to beat him to prove a point. Yeah, so number one, let's just agree to agree, Anil. Ocon drove brilliantly. Force India ran him super long. He ran as high as P2 with no problems at all. And the issue for me, is first of all, we have seen, and I think Toro Rosso started this strategy of saying, okay, driver X is on different strategy. You will let him through. And if he cannot get around the person ahead, you will get your place back. And you know what? That just works. Because if the driver can get by, 
everybody benefits. And if they can't, you get your place back. And that's almost always going to work. And in this case, Ocon, by having run so long, was on much, much fresher tires than Perez. And Perez, let's face it, if he'd really been able to get around Ricardo, would have already done so any number of laps ago. All he did was just filibuster, filibuster, and filibuster until the Ferraris caught up and made it impossible for Ocon to get around him or to get around Ricciardo. Perez threw away a potential podium place for the Force Indias, and they will not forget it. Not just because Ferrari might want Perez, but let's remember, who does Ocon drive for? Who does he drive for? Oh, Mercedes. How many places did Vettel pick up? Oh, that's right. Two extra places closer to Mercedes. And that's something that the big boys are going to be looking at. For the British audience, uh, to filibuster is to deliberately talk for an extended period of time to stop the debate moving forward in official capacity. In the British Parliament, this is known as cash for questions don't now are isn't it embarrassing that like all three of you guys are wrong about this i mean like seriously if if i haven't said anything yet i haven't said anything yet (laughs) if ocon had any chance of uh getting by um ricciardo we would have already seen um perez have gotten by ricciardo if you looked at the way that that those cars were working behind how can Okay, Matt, this I want to hear. Go ahead. I'm going to bring up Spanner's favorite word, tires. His tires were like 20 laps newer, easily. Okay, but... 20 laps better tires, and he was clearly faster than Perez on the day. Perez had fresh tires, and he had to go at Ricciardo, and he did not have the car under him. And the the reason was, I mean, look look at how fast that Force India was on the straight. And yet they still could not get by that that Red Bull. It was not going to happen. If it was going to happen, you would have heard the team, Force India, come back on the radio and they would have argued with them. But they did not. So, Ken. So, oh, oh, go ahead, sorry. Neil. Yeah. No, go ahead. Ken, I love you. I love your accent. But you're so wrong about this. Okay. Ocon was closer to Perez than Perez was to Ricardo for most of most of those laps. He should have let him pass. He, he was he was clearly faster. Um, I find it really interesting. Um, I think it was around lap thirty five. There was a radio message from Perez, and it said, "How is Ocon doing?" And at first, I thought that was like a oh, he's like a big brother to him. He he genuinely cares. But actually, he knew they were racing against each other. You've mentioned Ferrari a few times, but there's also another work seat at Renault up for grabs. There's a good chance that could go to Ocon or a driver like Sainz. You know, Perez knows he needs to beat this kid. Chatroom has got this. And sorry, Chatroom, you've just been scrolling too fast for me to get back to you. Uh, but someone in there says, look, if you implement that team order, I'm calling my bank. So let's get one thing straight. Sergio Perez is not an employee of Force India. He is a customer. He's paying for that seat. And he does not expect to be publicly humiliated and told to get out of the way of some kid. Okay. Also, he got stiffed. He had the worst strategy. He is entitled to a feel that he earned the position to be in front of Ocon. Yeah. And not only that, uh, good points. Sergio is also a racer. And so for a racer to give up a spot, I mean, at the end of the day, here's what Force India did. They said, okay. We're a racing team, and they are at their heart. They're more of a racing team. They're all racers at heart inside that team. I love Force India for this. They said they they were if 
If Ocon was faster, he could have passed Perez, he could have passed Ricciardo. What happened? Nothing. So it, let's say that Ocon had passed, um, that they that Perez had let him by, he was not going to pass Ricciardo. And, and then at the end of the day, it was going to be the same result anyway. It, it, they made the right choice not to press Perez to let Ocon by. Right. So I'm a customer. I go into a restaurant. I order a meal. I pick up my table. I hurl it over. I stand on someone else's table. I use the bathroom and they kick me out and they're wrong because I'm a paying customer. Is this what I'm to understand? I'm the customer. Anything I want, I get automatically. No, I don't think so. I think more to the point, the basic strategy of the thing is what you are overlooking. Ocon had better tires with which to attack Ricciardo. Number one. Number two, Perez was told he would get that spot back if Ocon could not seal the deal. Now, you're going to say, why didn't Ocon pass him? Well, let's consider the other side of that radio conversation. All right, Esteban, Perez says he will give you the spot in three laps. Just hold station, try and protect your tires, and, and save as much fuel and energy as you can for when you get by. Oh, what's that? A Ferrari? Too bad. Perez knew what he was doing. What he was doing was craven. If he was a real racer, he'd have been like, yeah, sure. No worries. Go ha have a go. I can't get by. He wasn't yeah. willing to admit it because it was more important to him to beat Ocon than it was for the team to have its best result. And that is where you start to run into real trouble when you talk about people at the top team. Take a no breath, Matt. No one yeah, wants anyone even Lewis, even <laughs> Lewis on the radio saying, let me have a go. And if I can't get by, I'll give the position back two races ago. So this is clearly the new standard for how team orders work. Perez has not yet gotten the memo. Wow. I thought Matt would never stop. And Neil Palmer. I, I, I forgot my point. But I've got another point. <laughs> That's fair. What race is, was this? I, I think basically just, just with what Matt said, if they were on the exact same strategy and they told him to move over, then yeah. if I was Perez, I'd be pretty annoyed about it. They were on different strategies. You've got to give it a go. But secondly, I want Perez doing the Brexit negotiations for the government because the way he persuaded his team to just do what he wanted, he was like, look, guys, I've got it. I'll just say if Ocon was a real racer, he would have passed Perez and they wouldn't have had that conversation. He had the pressure. It's tires. not as simple as that. You know, it's not as simple as that. You can't he had just the, say, "Oh, go over take had, him." Who oh. had the freshest? Who had the freshest tires? No, oh, you can't. That's not Formula One. Oh my God! That's racing. Anil, again, the point to make is that we know for a fact that Ocon was not making a serious effort to get by Perez because he was told to hold station by the team. What you can bet is that that will never happen again. It will never happen again. Ocon will walk away, having learned his lesson about Perez. And the next time the team asks him not to attack Perez, he's going to be all over him. And there's only going to be one person's fault, and that's going to be Perez for being so utterly selfish in this one instance. No, Perez and didn't. No, per well, no well, 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 I'm going to turn them down. I'm going to turn their mics off. Look, Perez didn't do anything wrong. He got the stiffed on the strategy. He's the number one driver there. He's paying for his seat. He is a senior bod in Formula One. Oh, my God. The hand gestures from Matt. Okay. Uh, look, I don't think Ocon, uh, he, he is the T-boy. He should sit there, hold station, do what he's told, and make sure he picks up another contract.
I think Ocon is a young Mercedes driver. He does not have to worry about where he's headed next. I think Perez is the one who's got to be worried a little bit at this point because Ocon is looking better and better and honestly better than Perez at this point. Do you want to uh, yell about this for another 10 minutes or do whose fault is this? Oh, uh, we need to move on to whose fault is this. Whose fault is this? Okay, guys, look, it's so easy for people to go every time there's something wrong. Oh, it's just a racing incident. Oh, just let them race. Boring? No, let's establish blame because this forces us to talk about the best part of Formula One, which so many other podcasts simply dismiss. That's the actual racing. I force my panel to put their cherries on the line and say whose fault every instant was. And Ken is going to say racing instant every time. I know he is, but curse that man. He will make a decision. So the first one here is signs versus Roman Grosjean. Uh, let's firstly have a bit of sympathy for... Massa, who in that little line of ants was doing absolutely nothing wrong and like a precision strike from a fighter aircraft, signs spun through and took out Massa and only Massa. Poor bloke. And that effectively ended Williams' race. Well, they still scored points. Yeah, what about Lance Stroll? He's brilliant. He's brilliant now. Everything's forgotten. He's scored a solitary point in a car that is traditionally extremely good at Canada and, and that there's no other track that's going to suit Williams better than that. He tried so hard not to crash. Every time he was about to overtake someone, you could just see him be like, nah, nah, no, no, not doing it, not doing it. But but all it took was four or five retirements. He got a point. That's all it took. If he just keeps hoping for these retirements, he's going to score double digit points by the end of the if year, If he guys. avoids any racing combat and enough people crash, he's going to pick up the odd point. It's, it's all changed now. It's all changed. And and then as a Williams fan, I got to say the worst part is, you know, if you look at like what Massa, Massa has been doing, right? He's carrying the, the whole burden, scoring all their points. And one crash, right? He gets taken out. And, and in general, they've been able to compete against the Force India. They had the better Mercedes engine, the upgrade. This it They could have been fighting for those points that, force india got they could have been fighting against vettel and got vettel's points even right you know but instead whose fault was it anyway philip allen in the chat room says signs was at fault or his car failed and it steered left on its own uh corku saying signs evangelos etta says signs as well uh chris stevens says signs so i think everybody is saying signs actually philip allen is also blaming max for stuff Sign signs everywhere. Signs, sorry. So, um, I mean, he he put the squeeze, Ken, didn't he? he? Put the squeeze on him earlier before that incident. Then he did it again, and Grosjean just didn't yield. But I mean, that's Here's... effectively a straight, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what's so surprising. And I'm glad you highlighted that because I'm watching that, and I was really surprised what uh, Grosjean did there. It seemed like he didn't do anything to avoid that crash. And with the new mantra that the race stewards have, which is, did is is one party you know significantly to blame over the other, or was it avoidable by both parties? I'm concerned. Now, I, I note that the stewards at the time of this recording have called in both drivers in regards to signs causing a crash, but they've not yet released the results. But I got to say, when I look at that, 
I'll just take it from the team manager's viewpoint. If I'm the team manager for Grosjean, I would look at that and say, what the heck happened there? Why did you not avoid? I would be disappointed um, with Grosjean, candidly. Uh, Cody disagrees and says that he was holding his line. Surely he's entitled to hold his line, Anil. Yeah, I agree. I think that was that was completely science's fault. I don't really get why he just turned right. It, it it seemed a bit confusing. He was just like, oh, you know what? I'm I'm off home. See you later. Um, have to say, I know the cars are wider this year, but this was the first race where I really noticed how much wider they were on the first lap on the approach to turn four. I was surprised there wasn't more accidents, to be honest. Yeah, because Joshua Clare says nobody wins on the first lap of a race. Lots of people lose. Uh, and there's not much more truth than that. I, I was really surprised because Sainz is one of my favorite younger drivers, and he seems to have really put a lot of polish on his skills in the last year or so. And it just looked very clumsy from the onboards that we saw. That said, I feel like we were still missing a really decent just down-the-line camera angle to see everything that was happening. It did look very much like Science just came over on Grosjean, but I couldn't see what was ahead of Science to have maybe made him do that or why he might think that Grosjean would have backed out of it after he came over the first time. On the other hand, the first lap is the first lap, and there's an awful lot to pay attention to. Okay, let's, we're going to have to move on to some other whose faults is this. I'm just going to gloss over quickly. Um, some people were criticizing Magnussen, who was defending very hard against Kvyat. So I watched this back a few times. And I think a lot of people get confused with this rule. So I'll just clarify it because this is what I've read from the sporting regs is they say there's one move allowed, but you're actually allowed a second move to get back onto the racing line. But if you do that, you then have to leave a car's width when you do that, when you make that maneuver back onto the racing line. And I think he he did that. So although it did look a bit severe, uh, I think case closed Magnussen, unless anyone's got a huge argument, was absolutely fine in defending in that way. The second one was turn one because this decided the race and could have a massive impact on the championship. I'll lead out on this. Chat room, who was to blame between um, Max Verstappen and Sebastian Vettel? By my view, Max Verstappen got very, very greedy. He wasn't far enough ahead and he's chopped across the front of that Ferrari and taken him out. And I know there's no penalties for those turn one incidents, but for me, that's a clear case of Verstappen being very eager and taking off the championship leader's front wing. Yeah, it's not the first time this year we've seen Max try like a very aggressive move around the outside. I think he did the same in Spain when Raikkonen and Bottas crashed as well. Um, I blamed him then just for being a bit too aggressive. And I'll, I'll say the same now. If, if you're going around the outside, you, especially at a corner like that, Three cars aren't going to fit. These cars are so long. Um, you're going to get an, you're going to get an accident. Well, the feeling I got was that even if Vettel wasn't there, he was going to be threatening. You know that even the other car, a car's width on the inside, and he was just trying to take turn one as if there were no cars there. When in fact there was two cars there, and I think this, that was too much. That was reckless. And the fact that they don't penalise for turn one kind of annoys me because basically there's a mandate to do that. You can do that because they won't get penalised. Yeah, well, go on, Ken. Well, I I was I'll just say I I disagree with you there in regards to turn one, unless um, it's something that's super um, blatant, um, that things happen so quick and things are so crowded in turn one. But at the same time, I got to agree with um, Anil and and you and that. And I I think that Max did clip um, and he was aggressive 
with um, and, and, and assumed, I would say, that he was clear of Vettel. Um, and frankly, he's, we would be talking about this in a slightly different um, way if Vettel's wing had cut Max's rear tire, then it would yeah, be a, good a point. really... Yeah. Because yeah, psychologically, and, and, yeah, we, we, we tend to examine consequences. It's hard to look at it without examining consequences. He, yeah, he was very lucky. And, and I always tend to look at it from the team manager's point of view. And so in, in that particular case, if that tire had been cut, then as the team manager, uh, and Helmut Marko is not the friendliest guy behind closed doors, I'm sure uh, they would have talked to him about not leaving enough room. Yeah, well, as you say, three into that particular turn was never going to go. But my question is, and I can't remember this from the video playback, which is why I'm asking, who was the third person into that little sandwich there? Was it Botas yeah. or was it Botas? Yeah, then, yeah. then, then Botas effectively closed the door for everybody because that left Vettel no place to bail when Verstappen up the outside. But it was interesting to me, too. To hear Vettel talk about it post-race, where he he discussed it in, in similar terms to Ken, and that he's like, well, you know, Verstappen was there, he ran over my wing, he's like, but this would not have been on purpose, because usually you wind up cutting your tire. It's just one of those things that happens in the first turn of a race where everything's that important. I also want to throw out that the chat room has a Twitter opinion from Carlos Sainz, who has apologized profusely to all parties involved, uh, saying that Grosjean was in his blind spot, and it was pretty much all his fault. So there you go. And uh, Felix says they all have to drink as well, because you've incorrectly pronounced Bottas as Botas. Uh, so they are, cool. it's a hard night for the chat room uh, tonight. Um, people are saying I'm wrong for blaming uh, Vettel in there but I don't know I just don't think Vettel should have been expected to just slam the brakes on there's a guy on the outside of him you can't reasonably expect him to go for that turn one apex it's going to be interesting to see how Max battles with Vettel and Hamilton as the year goes on because he's got nothing to lose he's not in a championship fight he's basically just happy with a podium so he's and he knows he's got to be aggressive off the start uh, I hope we don't see any controversial incidents between Vettel or Hamilton and Max, you know, like a puncture or whatever, because then it's going to get feisty. Oh no, that would be terrible for uh, F1 podcast to have lots of controversial things to talk about. I definitely hope none of that happens. Uh, but in the chat room, let's see, from Joshua Clare, uh, Bottas was on the racing line. Vettel was slightly off the racing line. Verstappen was very off the racing line. James Funnel says Vettel was too cautious because he has more to lose than everybody else. Okay, so fair enough. Let's move on to the very last one. I think this should be quite quick because I'm going to say a thing that I know is probably wrong, but I think Vettel was a bit hot when he was going into the two Force India. So I'm talking about Ocon versus Vettel. I think you could make a case that Vettel was a little out of control going into turn one up the inside of Ocon. And I'm not utterly convinced that he made that corner. Basically, he made that corner by coming to a complete stop and leaving Ocon on the right-hand side. Ken, since you're gesticulating the wildest, why don't you that, go first? Okay, let's just put that right out there. That's why Vettel uh, was driver of the day. That was a brilliant maneuver. He went deep into the dirty parts there on the inside. Ooh, hello. Um, and he went ahead. And, and the thing is, is that he is good enough to... <coughs> move it all the way over there he knew that he was going in three abreast and he knew that on a three abreast deal 
the only place that you want to be is is on the inside. You don't want to be the sandwich, and you and you don't want to be on the outside. And he went ahead and did a full commitment on a very dirty inside line, and it paid off. It was brilliant. Yeah, I just need to remind you, Ken. This is a family show, and you just got to be careful, my friend. Got to be careful. Kids, ignore that. And Neil, you say a thing. Um. It reminds me of an overtake that Hamilton did in his first year, um, feeling old here. It was against ha- Raikkonen at Monza, where he was miles behind going into the first chicane. And he, he looked completely out of control, and then it just worked. Um, I thought Vettel's move was brilliant. I, I, I think so did Perez. I think Perez was so busy looking in his mirror at this amazing overtake. They actually Perez is the one that actually kind of went off the track a little bit. He got two wheels onto the grass. Uh, it, it was a great move from Seb. I was really surprised at how dirty it was offline. Uh, I've never noticed that amount of dirt on the track. There seems to be loads of leaves blowing as well. Um, it, it's a shame for Ocon though, because he shouldn't have been there. I wanted him to be further up, but yeah. Ocon is a rookie. He will learn his lesson. As far as the dirt, I think we can put it down to the wind, which was epic today. It was very, very yeah. breezy. Yeah. And that's probably why you saw more dust and stuff like that there. A tree fell onto the um, ticket collection booth I saw on Twitter. Um, and one of the journalists, actually, um, a female journalist, the Tor- a Torosso mechanic, had to put some ballast on her to stop her from blowing away. Um, cool. Just a few things I spotted on Twitter this weekend. Cool story, bro. Uh, Mr. Anoma in the chat room says, Spanners, you are so wrong. I did kind of suspect I was wrong. And look, I'm actually a big fan of Sebastian Vettel this season. He's won me over with his racing. I love how he's going for it. I think ultimately he's going to fall short, but we are seeing like how much he's ahead of Kimi Raikkonen, how much he's genuinely racing. I think this is a great test for Sebastian Vettel, and I think he'll pass it, even if he doesn't win the championship, because I still think Mercedes have the best car. However, Chris Stevens says half the moves made in MotoGP are out of control. That is because you have to be insane to participate in that form of racing. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but that's not something that we compare ourselves to. That's like telling your children there are starving children in other parts of the world, and that's why they have to eat disgusting Brussels sprouts. Stop that, Chris Stevens. You're better than that. I'm totally lost. Matt, should we move on to perhaps the podium? I think we should. If you enjoy the podcast and you'd like to support the show, we have two ways in which you can do this. A. Tell everyone. Tell people at the water cooler. Tell your father-in-law. Tell your uncle. Tell them at work, in your office, that Missed Apex Podcast adds to your F1 fandom. Tell them about the chat room. They can join in. Or B. You can give us real money. If you support content creators on Patreon, then please also consider supporting us. Go to MissedApexPodcast.com and click Patreon on the menu tab or go to Patreon.com and search for Missed Apex Podcast. We're looking for tip jar donations in the order of one, two, three, or a thousand dollars a month, whatever matches your budget. Honestly, it makes a real difference. I could bore you with what we've been able to do this season, but you'll notice that we have two producers now. That's because of the patrons. I have a less grumpy wife. That's because of the patrons. There is more content. Have you noticed how there's more content lately? That's because of you, the patrons. Also, while I've got your attention, please follow me on Spanners Ready on Twitter and stay tuned to our feed because we have tech times coming up. Wafflecasts, 
race reviews. We have Inside F1 with Joe Sayward. This is a good feed to be on. We hope you agree. Follow us at Missed Apex F1. Okay, Matt, what was your thing of the weekend this weekend? Ocon, my thing of the weekend. You totally love that dude. I, I, he impressed me greatly today, and I feel like he's made a big step forward. Although Kubica was almost there, except for technically it wasn't weekend, so I couldn't really mention it. Well, I, I didn't. I think if he gets good, if he gets to a top team, you're going to be like Ocon Fossi. I could indeed be. My turn, my turn. Thing of the weekend. Jean-Luc Picard is a lad. He's actually made the shoey cool again. The shoey that I have always thought is disgusting, I am suddenly a fan of because Jean-Luc Picard stepped up and did one. That man can do no wrong. I love him so, so much. People were whinging, oh, he's not a racing driver. No, he's Star Trek. That's why he gets a pass. Uh, But quite interesting that Lewis Hamilton was like looking at him like Professor X and saying, can you read my mind? I'm thinking, hang on a minute, Picard can't read minds. Well, I guess that's the, the five or so year gap I have to Lewis uh, that puts him out of the TNG range. Ken, what was your thing of the weekend? Oh, go on, Ken. Well, I, I think the thing of the weekend was clearly Hamilton's qualifying Q3 performance on Saturday. That was brilliant, and it didn't end up winning him the race. But I think that's why, and I'll repeat myself, why we all watch Formula One is for those golden moments Formula One is a beautiful sport, and that was a beautiful moment. It was historic. Chat room saying, just when you thought the shoey was getting old, an actual knight of the realm does it, and suddenly it's the best thing ever. And Neil, what was your thing of the weekend? You're going to say Vettel, aren't you? Oh, God. Tifosi. Well, I was going to say Q3, because it was one of my favourite quality sessions in a long time, but Ken said it. I was going to say... Uh, the podium, but Spanners has said it. So I'm going to say the raft race that took place <laughs> after qualifying, simply because the Liberty media guys got involved, and it, that was really cool. Um, it just shows that they really want to engage. Oh, and and McLaren won, which is just hilarious. I mean, th- there's a joke in there about how Honda normally like you know make them sink, but they 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 won. It's it's just amazing. What um, were they like yeah, on the straights? Were they all right on the straights? <laughs> oh God, it's just. It's just, it's just so ironic. Um, I hope we see more events like that um, before each race. Apparently, there's something, I think Joe mentioned it to you on the podcast that you did with him, that there's something happening before Silverstone. You know, I hope we see more events like that because they're great oh, ideas. I, I mean, Mr. Saywood cannot say enough about what Liberty are doing as far as the atmosphere of the track and all the events around the weekend go. Like, Obviously, he, go, he has to attend every race and he's been... You know, very, very impressed with the level of entertainment and uh, and stuff they've done. So, yeah, now hopefully hopefully uh, we can get out to Silverstone at some point. I think I might take me and Tree-Faced Friday practice. But, look, we can talk about the good things all day long. That's not what we're going to talk about. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Who missed the apex for you, Trumpets? Who did a bad thing? Well, you're going to laugh because we have not even mentioned his name. But with the scoring of two points by Lance Stroll, there is no question that Julian Palmer missed the apex. Oh, it's so bad. Really, it's just it's getting hard to. I mean, you know, uh, the only thing that could save his bacon now was if he drove, say, a Sauber. 
<clears throat> Erickson. <laughs> and and he does it. He drives a car that's obviously competitive in the hands of certain yep. people who from Germany and once upon a time drove from Williams. So what can you say? Well, I, I, I genuinely wondered if there was two specs of Renault car out there. And you do have to wonder if he is the worst driver on the grid at the moment. And yeah, I know the grid is full of great drivers and maybe being the worst F1 driver isn't such a shame, you know, because it's you know the best form of motorsport in the world. But at the moment, it's kind of back of the grid. Indeed. Before we go on, the chat room does have a suggestion for thing of the weekend. Yeah. Hamilton's Ricardo's identical shave the sides and back of the head and leave the top as is hairdo that's in. That in i have to say i've got a seven-year-old and we go to the hairdressers and that's what he wants as well shave the top off leave it all at the front he uh, looks ridiculous i tell him he looks like a troll doll he seems to not care spanners i know you were getting ready to ask me who missed the apex just about weekend. to sir uh if i well <clears throat> i was gonna say carlos signs actually because uh not only in the race that, uh, you know, and he just apologized and the stewards were, uh, had fingered him that, uh, hey, we want to talk to you about that uh, first lap thing. But also, I mean, if you look at, at Saturday as well, um, his complaints and stuff, he was off his game. He was, I don't know what happened, but if you're at this level in this league, you need to be on your game every weekend. I had a very treasured colleague a few years back. Everyone loved him. He was a very cool guy. Then all of a sudden, he started insulting people. His work dropped. He, he just started being unpleasant to be around. And you go, why, why has this changed? And it turned out his home life had just been turned completely upside down. And when you look at the outbursts in the interviews, the fact he was losing it in P1, the fact he crashed in qualifying, the fact he was poor in the race and cause an incident on turn one you've you've got to wonder you're forced to wonder we'll never know you've got to be forced to wonder has something changed in the science camp has something changed in that mentality he's such a talent i really really hope that he brings it together anil have i asked you who missed the apex no but i agree with matt it's palmer i mean he didn't just miss the apex he wasn't even on the same circuit he probably didn't see the apex he was so unbelievably bad i think at one point he was two seconds a lap slower than hulk on the same strategy um, they need to get Kubica in on a mid-season test after, I think it's Silverstone or Hungary, put Kubica in, and if he's competitive, bring him back. Palmer's dreadful. What possible, what could they lose from bringing anyone in? I'm not saying Kubica or otherwise, but, um, you know, what could they lose? The concern is with uh, old Robbo there, that there's certain tracks he was concerned about, but possibly Monaco would have been one of them, and that's out the way now. So, yeah, so maybe some open doors there. But look, mine is, mine, look, don't get angry with me, guys. Um, is Lewis Hamilton. He is my pony, uh, my Mr. Apex this week because he nearly crashed while celebrating. He genuinely nearly crashed his car while celebrating and just about saved it. Do you know why? Because he had his seatbelt off. But the rule is in my car with the kids, you don't undo your seatbelt until dad puts the handbrake on. And that's just golden. The chat room would like to get in with the stewards for giving Fiat two penalties for the same one offense. Fair enough. Fair enough. They didn't do well there. Oh, okay, this is my favourite one. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Lots of candidates this week. Sandra Reynolds in the chat room says, Alonso on the radio for saying, not tell me useful information. In fact, wasn't he what you were saying was, the information you are telling me is not good. Psychically understand that I have already looked forward to 17 laps in the future and this is the information that I want. Nailed it. 
Well done. Oh, Matt, would you like to nominate a Pony Award? Yes, and you'll never guess who it is. Perez. Come on, man, just let us race. Whoa, whoa, hang oh on a minute. In God. Abu Dhabi, we were praising sister. Hamilton. In oh, Abu Dhabi, we were praising Hamilton for saying, come on, man, just let us race. And we're really going to give Perez abuse for the same thing? Yes, absolutely. In that circumstance, completely. Fair enough. Pony Awards, anyone else? Anyone else got one? I'm going to say Danny Kvyat. Um just had some crazy rants on the radio. I feel a bit bad for him. He's quite unlucky. He's the guy that wins the lottery, but lives, leaves his winning lottery ticket in his pants when he puts it in the washing machine. But I've just, I've just had enough of Danny. No, that's fair enough. Uh, mine goes to Roman Grosjean. Yes, I think he was completely wronged by signs going across him. But his rant was like 10 minutes long. It was like an epic, epic rant going, oh, and now my nose cone has got to come up. Blah, blah, blah. And then the radio just went, Kuk. We'll get you a new nose cone. Chill, bro. Matt, have we got anything that sounds anything like a... Comment of the week. Yes, as usual, the issue is not that we just have one thing, is that we have many, many, many candidates. Lay them all on me, brother. All right. Well, we are looking at um, Ken saying, Christ, what did I say regarding his uh, dirty parts of the track? Entendre. Let's earlier. gloss over that. I think I think I think we have to throw Felix in with a shout. How many seagulls were there this race? And it had to have been more than the last race, given how Vettel finished up. James Finnell, this is a prime example of how you breed your own luck. If Massa had had a better start, then he would never have been in that place. Uh Cody, interestingly enough, has the correct opinion. Dude, Americans don't have accents. Oh, gee, boss. Hmm, that's an interesting opinion. That's how both of you talk. Uh, Christopher Fonseca, who was on fire today, one of his submissions would be Red Bull takes your wings regarding the Verstappen incident. And again, with the look forward to the future where some talented F1 drivers presented with a, quote, genuine Lewis Hamilton selfie stick. That's gotta uh, be that it. might that's have to be, be the one. Who's that, I, Christopher? I know. And the last one, and this is what makes it hard because I happen to know your area, first area of love and expertise. Resistance is voltage over curtain. <laughs> the Star Trek reference nearly gets it, but I do want to see. I hope I live long enough to see what Lewis Hamilton memorabilia is presented to my son, Treeface, when he equals Lewis Hamilton's qualifying record. And it will perhaps be a genuine Lewis Hamilton selfie stick, the winner of Comment of the Week, Christopher Fonseckel. Comment of the Week. That's just about us, guys. We haven't caught up with a Neil Palmer. Tell me what you're up to. Tell me where people can find you, Anil. Um, you can find me on Twitter at AnilP228. Sorry, I was on my phone just then. You caught me at the worst possible time. You know, um, Lewis yeah. Hamilton has been slated for a... He was in the sun. Do expect a headline tomorrow. A Neil Palmer disrespectful, petulant, no respect to the Missed Apex podcast chat room. Oh, so there'll be Jeremy Corbyn on the front cover for something bad he's done. I'll be there right in the corner because I'm on my phone. Yeah, anyway, find me on Twitter at anilp228 and hopefully you'll hear me on the podcast again soon. We'll see, Anil. We'll see. Make sure you follow Ken at Vortex Motio as previously discussed. You can find Matt at MattPT. 55. Also, check out his wife's books. Follow at A Weaver Writes on the Twitters and go buy those books, kids. 
buy them for your wife. Look, just trust me. Buy them for your wife. Follow me at Spanners Ready and the show at Missed Apex F1. And please join us as we do more Wafflecast, Tech Time and Inside F1 with Joe Sayward. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. It's so late. It's so late in Britain, Anil. We're the sleepy ones. And look, the Americans uh, still look all fresh-faced. For I don't daytime. think whiskey's helped. Yeah, but Matt starts drinking at all times of day. When we used to do this a lot earlier, Matt would still be there with his whiskeys. You know, he's got the old, it's five o'clock somewhere. An excellent attitude to have. Uh, unfortunately, I have a party to attend, gentlemen. Yeah, that's just yeah. rubbing it in a Neil's face because he's poor and young and he's got nothing to do. Hey, only two of those three things are accurate. <laughs> At any one time. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.